Welcome to Cybersecurity Unlocked, a podcast dedicated to interviewing some of the industry's brightest minds. We will feature discussions from a wide range of subject matter experts about their careers, industry trends, and what the future holds. Hi, welcome to Cybersecurity Unlocked. I'm your host, Avion Jones. Today, I'm delighted to be joined by my good friend, Christian Karam. He's the Global Head of Cyber Threat Intelligence for UBS and also the APAC CISO. Thanks hey, mate. How are you doing? Good. How are you doing? Yeah, yeah. Good, good. Yeah. How's, the, uh, how's lockdown treated you? It's been great. Been great? Yeah. Just <laughs> staying at home. Uh, I think work from home is uh, normal pretty much for us. We spend yeah. a lot of time at home anyway, but uh, get to see the family, spend time with the family has been a good opportunity. Yeah, 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 great. Did you? Um, a lot of people were taking the time to, you know, redo certifications or yeah. learn new skills. Did you learn anything or cook a new new books? <laughs> Cooking. Cooking. You had to. Well, obviously, I think for everyone staying at home more, spending time with family, you're 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 re uh, readjusting. You know your boundaries between work and life. Yeah. Uh, and uh, cooking has been great. Uh, it's been a good opportunity to uh, reskill at that angle. But yeah, inevitably, we're reading more books. There's other stuff that we haven't had the time to catch up on. An hour commuting uh, per day kind of is given back to you and you can spend more time yeah. reskilling, right? Um, especially that we're going to be a, we're going to need a lot of new skills after this uh, yeah. big pandemic globally, right? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. yeah. I want to talk to you about that a little bit later. Yeah. So what was your, let's, I guess, sort of rewind. How did you sort of first get started in this industry? I probably started cybersecurity um, in 2002, a very early age, uh, more of an interest in, uh, in uh, hacking and cracking, you know, a lot of these uh, interesting tutorials online and, uh, you know, kid stuff. Uh, mm. So it's always been of an interesting, uh, interesting activity, like in computers. Um, I think I had, a, I had a rule when I was a kid is that don't use the PC for games use it for everything else, right? Mm. So so gaming time was on a PlayStation or any console, and then PC was to do other complex stuff, so to figure out like what you want to do with it. Um, and it kind of grew over the years. I spent more time kind of like building skills around that. And then my first job was probably 616, being a pen tester for some of the local banks uh, back in my home country. It was interesting. And then you realize I can make money out of that. Mm. I can be a freelancer. I can get. At the time, I used to pay. It's it's ridiculous how time changes. Pen testing used to be I used to charge two hundred fifty dollars an hour, really? and now probably is around twenty dollars an hour, fifteen dollars an hour at maximum. Right? It's 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 gotten commoditized over the years that yeah. the industry changed, and then new roles and new skill sets now are being you know charged at two fifty dollars an hour. So yeah, um, it's a very evolving fast field. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So what year was that then when you were when you were pen testing? Uh, probably started around uh, 2007, 2006. Right. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So Sorry, spending more time doing that professionally. Right. Yeah. Spending more time on this, um, and uh, and uh, interacting with clients. You know, flying yeah. to locations. Uh, that was a good opportunity, and that helped me move into like a you know consulting jobs with some private clients, etc. There. Um, mm. And uh, yeah, and then I realized there's a lot more to do than just doing pen testing or security consulting, but there's a larger organization that needs to operate and make money. Yeah. And your role is to kind of enable them into, into, into doing that. Yeah. So that was a pretty interesting thing to look, to look at, yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah. And how did the opportunity with uh, Interpol come about? So 
it's a it's a bit of like one of these random things in life um as i was uh doing a bit of a consulting work um i either had to continue my studies and go to the u.s and at the same time i had applied for an internship at interpol um okay and it was only a six-month internship mm -hmm. and i got a call and you know interpol at the time was building a a they had a they had a new mandate in 2012 on um, building a cybersecurity uh, headquarters, right? Uh, the IGCI, the, Inter the Interpol Global Complex for Innovation, based out of Singapore here today. Um, so as things developed, I took the internship, went to France, to Lyon, to the headquarters before we moved to Singapore because it wasn't built yet. Yeah. And we were a team of four. Wow. Only four people with a mandate to build this whole global cyber uh, thing. And the internship was really short. I got offered a contract after it, um, became uh, a consultant and a uh, and an officer um, at Interpol, and this four you know this four people team became a huge, uh, large initiative uh, wow. of fighting cybercrime globally with the dedicated centers in Lyon and in Singapore, and uh, it was just a massive catalyst uh, yeah. for my career. It's um, one of the great things I learned there. I think I'm very very grateful for that. Is um, at a very young age, being thrown to, um, thrown in, in in big meetings to meet you know very important people in the public sector, mm -hmm. um, uh, government officials, uh, you learn how to uh, stop speaking technical yeah. and speak straight to the point of what makes sense uh, yeah. and kind of like de-jargonize the topic. Um, something that I practice a lot with with my colleagues and my my staff today is is this is really kind of spend more time on getting the right message out yeah. and then get it exactly in the way that your stakeholders are not technical, not, yeah. not tech savvy, would get it and makes a massive difference with mm. managing people up or managing people down as well. Yeah, yeah. That's a really uh, interesting point uh, that you make there about um, the ability to translate context from yeah technical for a non-technical sort of audience because that is quite often a blocker and, and stops people from making that next step into leadership roles where they do the importance of managing up and presenting to kind of C-level stakeholders uh, where it's absolutely crucial. Absolutely. This plays a big, 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 uh, um, it's actually a massive big uh, element when it comes to, you know, how you're being perceived by the management, right? Yeah. The ability to understand something and simplify it and adapt it to the person on the other side that doesn't have the same expertise as you as you do, but then kind of drive them in a direction where they are able to make a decision out of that yeah. is very difficult and should not be taken for, for granted. I didn't realize that uh, because in the beginning I had to tailor my language to uh, police officers, right? Yeah. And some of them are technical, some of them are not technical. Right? Mm -hmm. They have a very different background. Um, and you can't talk IP addresses and hacking and yeah. tools in front of them. So you have to really explain like what is the impact, where is the risk, where yeah. is the threat. That is stuff that they're more accustomed to. And then, then you kind of guide them to, well, that's the right decision to take. Yeah. Let's have a debate on that. And, or this is very similar to that kind of threat that you're used to be dealing with in the real world, in the physical world. Yeah. It kind of bridges um, the gap between individuals speaking together and, uh, and, yeah. uh, and discussing and, and deciding. Yeah. And again, kind of managing the the language that you use in a kind of very structured hierarchy and the level of seniority they might be speaking to. Yeah. The importance of like saving face and, you know, not embarrassing anybody <laughs> in, in certain meetings. It's a bit of a minefield, isn't it? Exactly. I, I think I had one meeting, uh, I remember I had a meeting with a, a um, minister of defense that attended once a meeting at Interpol and there was... Uh, 
this fantastic leader at Interpol, unfortunately, he passed away a few years ago. Um, and I, I gave a presentation that was very technical, right? Mm. Uh, the guy still loved it, right? He was a technical, technical guy. But I, I got feedback from, this, um, from the, uh, the Interpol um, lead, and, uh, and it was one of, probably one of the best uh, advice I've ever, ever gotten in my life, you know. Um, next time he invited me again and again and again, you know, he wasn't really afraid of uh, having me jump onto the wagon multiple times and then uh, present to it because he kind of realized that I'm able to adapt now, uh, yeah. given the advice and the guidance. Um, that's also very important to find the right people in the organizations, someone yes. that can really like not block you, but rather kind of give you a course adjustment. So yeah. you can like, uh, you know, either expand your skills or realize these are the important things that we need to focus on. Sure. Yeah. Okay. So act as a sponsor and can help you sort of influence. Mentors, sponsors, um, yeah. you know, in any career, I think it's always a blessing when you have the right person uh, guiding you from the top. So yeah, it's been great. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. And then your career kind of took a, a turn into the private sector, if you, if you like. Yeah. into financial services what was it that attracted you to uh, financial I services i think my my ex-colleagues uh uh and entropo call it uh, i defected right oh really <laughs> it's wow. a defection right um <laughs> look public sector is a great place to work in, and it was one of the best memories um i've had also the public good is very important right mm. uh, you know saving people's lives keeping the world secure it's it's yeah. a very very honorable very f fantastic mission um the decision for me to move to private sector uh, was really driven by the the need to do something more. Right? Mm. Um, I wanted to measure, um, I, w I wanted to see what, what can I do in a different sector. Uh, one of the things that I really liked uh, before Interpol, after Interpol, I will continue to like for many years is I like insights. Right? Mm. I like to discover insights. Uh, at Interpol, you could see the, you know, the globe, you can see like macro mm -hmm. trends, macro insights. But I really wanted to like specialize in one field uh, mm -hmm. and have a look at really inside the field, how are things connected? I, I had some, some theories in mind mm -hmm. and it went in the right direction. I think in the financial sector kind of gave me that ability of deep diving into what is the impact of cybersecurity and then the financial world, right? mm. uh, which we all know, you know, from a high level perspective is important. Yeah. We all think about, well, yeah, there's money involved, so there must be a lot of risks tied to it. But really, what what lies, you know, underneath, uh, you know, those big titles, yeah. and the complexity of it is very interesting, but also extremely exciting. And there's a lot to be still yeah. discovered and built on in that industry. Um, so, the decision was easy. It was really about making yeah. sure that you know I have to move back into the financial sector or the private sector in general as well, mm. um, where there would be some element of finance involved in it. Yeah. yeah. So I hope you don't mind me asking you this, but I remember when I got, we, we had you interviewing with UBS mm. and there was also a consulting firm and the feedback that I got from both to this day is still probably the best feedback that I've, <laughs> that I've had. What did you do in those interviews? Like how did you prep? How did you, you know, sort of approach the questions? What was your process? I think, I think the, um, the key element was um, I was really comfortable doing interviews. Right? Mm. I was going and meeting a lot of companies. I was speaking to them. I got used to like being out there in my role, in my job. I have to interact with a lot of stakeholders. I have to speak to a lot of companies. So there isn't this element of being comfortable speaking about what I do and my mm. job. I, I knew what I was really good at and, yeah. and the things that I'm not really good at. Mm -hmm. And just, you know, putting that out there uh, kind of gave them the confidence that, you know, 
this person uh, is able to achieve was what what was what he's actually trying to sell us. Mm. Um, the other great factor was um, the roles that were available that were offered at the time, um, and the skill set matched uh, at the peak of a of a um, job hype. Right, I mean the the roles themselves were really sought off in the market, and mm. people really wanted to uh, to hire in that skill set. And I was just there at the right time at the right moment mm. and the right place. Right. So uh, it kind of all aligned very well, but uh, definitely I've had some of the best conversations during those interviews uh, yeah. with some of these uh, leaders in these companies, and uh, and uh, unfortunately with some of them we didn't we, we couldn't we couldn't go any further. But uh, UBS has been a, has been a great uh, company mm. to work for and uh, highly committed uh, to work and develop things with them, and it's been you know growing and growing ever since yeah well what a fantastic journey it's been for you i mean your career trajectory has been yeah been fantastic what do you think are the key skills in your opinion that make a good uh, cyber threat intelligence analyst well i mean here's the thing and this is my personal view it might be completely different than the industry right so um a lot of people that came to the cti skill set or cti role um, when I go and I look a bit like at the profile of the candidate, there's a significant amount of them that are addressing it purely from a, a strategic intelligence perspective, right? Mm-hmm. So geopolitics, um, you know, financial intelligence, etc. Um, I think that's definitely important, but it needs to come at a later stage when you've really gotten the, uh, the basics right. Yeah. And CTI is really, you need to find a candidate, you need a set of candidates that are technical at the base that understand what the threat is. Right? right. The core mission of CTI is like, what is the threat outside that we're worried about? Mm-hmm. So we can translate that to a potential impact and mitigate this within the firm or allow the senior management to take a better informed decision on yeah. that threat. Uh, then you can layer on, you know, additionally, like strategic intelligence, geopolitics to enrich that that yeah. context more efficiently. The mistake that I see a lot is that we're throwing people uh, on, at these roles and we're building, you know, a bit of a miscommunication in those CTI teams mm-hmm. where the strategic intelligence analyst cannot speak technical and right. a technical person cannot speak strategic. And then you end up with a rift inside that team. Right. And you want to kind of like move everyone to kind of specialize in their own areas, but also able to uh, work homogeneously kind of like deliver this. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. So somebody who has has kind of earned their stripes at the the granular level, um, you know, sort of rolled up their sleeves at the technical side, and then they have a much better understanding of what a potential root cause might might be. Kind of like build a platoon of skill sets, right? Make sure you have the appropriate people at the technical level and the strategic level, tactical mm-hmm. level. You know, find people from different backgrounds. There is no one recipe. Everyone can be a CTI analyst yeah. coming in from a different background. Being if you have a psychology degree or you have an international relations degree or a, or even a security incident responder or even yeah. you know a red teamer, right? Everyone can move in that area. It's about yeah. you know passion and interest and threats, yeah. and also building that skill set of understanding what's the impact, who yeah. is it going to impact, and what can I do with it, right? And yeah. and how do I relay the message to the senior management? Yeah. A lot of things I say to uh, to my colleagues um, in the team is that make sure to remember that you're an ambassador uh, from you know what you're seeing mm-hmm. and explain that to the senior management. Right? You're supposed to make things very simple, very mm-hmm. elegant. Very easy to understand. This is what ambassadors have to do. Right? Yeah, you don't want to create more conflict. No, you want to basically bridge gaps. Want to allow opportunity for everyone to be able to understand what the problem is, and we measure our efficiency by looking at how much change we've delivered, how much, how much, 
how many decisions we've been able to influence yeah. so people take the right decision and ultimately mitigate that risk for the firm. Right. Okay. Otherwise, if you're just sending um, news, we're just another news agency, yeah. you know, in a, the big pool of other news agencies, and uh, and we're not really de- deriving something of relevance, uh, context, value for the firm uh, with with mitigation impact. Yeah. Yeah. What what advice would you give to somebody that is uh, you know been working in the industry, maybe comes from a more kind of traditional security compliance or governance background that wants to cross skill? into cyber threat intelligence, something a little bit more interesting. You know, what certifications do you think better prepares them for that yeah. role or keeping up to date with the latest threat actors? I think I think there's a lot of certifications outside um, that kind of ease ease or prepare you into going in that direction. Um, I'm not gonna I I don't really endorse any certifications myself. Um, okay. but but there's definitely a lot of these you know, companies and well, well-rounded uh, courses that are available uh, and uh, and then um, uh, uh, highly endorsed by the industry. The thing that I noticed the most is that um, you need to be passionate about it, right? Yeah. You need to wake up in the morning and read three, four, five blogs, right? And understand, you know, what's happening. Why is this threat actor doing uh, X and Y and Z? Uh, one thing that is really important, if you want to move from a purely a security analyst role to more of a CTI role um, in operations, when you look at it, the difference really is about trying to identify the motives and the intent. Mm-hmm. Right? What is the attacker trying to do? Mm-hmm. That's the story that you have to stick around. Right? A, lot, a lot of the security activities, you just need to remediate and stop the attack. But CTI comes in to kind of go beyond that and say, why are they trying to attack us? Right. Why is this team being targeted? Uh, is it a business activity? Is it something that we've published online? Is there a motive? Is there a certain mission on the? Because when you think about cyber threat today, mm. there's an element of motivation. Right? Yeah. There is a motivation. When you talk about an advanced persistent threat, there's the element of motivation. The person on the other side is trying to hurt you. Yeah. And they've defined their goals. Right. And that's what CTI has to uncover. Right. We're trying to uncover what the goals of the adversary is build that and explain to the business. And here where it really becomes a skill set, if you go to the senior manager or you know the business or anyone you know that needs to take a decision from a leadership perspective and you say, we've seen a threat and we've blocked it, they're going to go, great, good job. Mm. But then when you tell them we've seen an attempt, we've seen a threat and we've seen, seen several attempts and they're interested in this, that, this business unit, that business deal, this portfolio, whatever it is, they're going to say, well, hold on a second. What can we do more to stop them from impacting that business? And then you raise awareness. People understand that they're being targeted. They understand that they have something valuable that they need to protect. And this is really our role, to expand that from just being a technology, to defend the technology, to defend the business. Mm. That's our role to defend the business ultimately there. Right. Okay. Okay. Interesting. G- going on to your to the, your other hat, if you like, the, what do you what do you think are the uh, key fundamentals that make a good chief information security officer? I think I'm still trying to uh, to to learn that and grow that on a daily basis. Right, yeah. um, the Caesar role has evolved so much in the last ten years. Right? Yeah. Um, one thing I noticed for sure, right, um, the way I operate as a CISO is very different than. A lot of colleagues that I've met, I'm not saying I'm better or yeah. they're, they're or, or they're better, right? Or you know, it's I I, th- I think that there it's clearer now that the modern age the modern age so has to be more than just an information security manager. Right? Yeah. So 
In the past, you would do the whole um, risk management, governance, data protection pieces. In today's world, you need to know as well a lot about operations. Like yeah. The CISO now kind of owns operations, has to have oversight on operations, uh, is, is tasked with taking decisions right, yeah. at critical times. Um, that element, especially the portfolio of threat, and I see a lot of colleagues and good friends of, um, of, um, of mine that are going back and throwing, th throwing themselves into new challenges. Mm -hmm. um, a really, really good friend, uh, he's been doing this since the 90s probably, one of the seasoned experts in the industry. Mm -hmm. He threw himself, and I was extremely surprised, he threw himself at a new challenge to go spend time on uh, building threat management capabilities yeah. uh, for uh, entities in the financial sector. And he learned this from scratch, right? right? And he came out of this experience extremely well uh, adapted as a, you know, revamped, uh, a great facelift for a new CISO where he's got this tons of knowledge and relationships. And now he's, he's, he's got really the up-to-date information on threat management and uh, he's closer to the topic better than ever. Right. Um, it's a great thing to do. I think, you know, as CISOs, we shouldn't just stop yeah. learning, right? Yeah. Uh, five years down the line, I'm looking and I'm thinking, What's the next thing? Uh, yeah. and, and I see cyber risk quantification as the next thing in the next five years. Okay. So I have to invest my time and effort to add on top of you know, threat management, operations, governance, all that quantification, right? Yeah. risk models. That's something that we're going to need and we have to prepare for it. Well, it's, it's evolving so quickly, isn't it? As yeah. well? If you can't really afford to stop learning, otherwise you're just going to get become obsolete very quickly. And, and that's what I like about the job, right? It's that you don't have a skill set that just goes flat over mm. the years, right? There's always going to be a new trend, a, a new challenge. And one on, on one side, you're trying to always catch up with the attacker's intent, motive, intent motives, um, techniques, tools, all of that, you know, behaviors. On the other, you're looking at how much cybersecurity is getting ingrained into our day-to-day -day processes yeah. and how much demand there is on it. And yeah. then they're opening up uh, new opportunities to kind of like expand that field yeah. within the corporate world and okay. the private sector. Yeah. yeah. And how do you keep up to date with the latest like threat actors and trends? And you mentioned your, your friend that, that does yeah. that really well. What's your secret? Look, there's, there's tons of sources of information outside. Um, there's a lot of companies really working hard on indexing um, you know, threats and, 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 and writing about them and explaining them. I think one of the biggest advantages as well you don't want people to sit behind the keyboard and interact with the machine. You, you go out there, talk mm. to talk to banks, talk to peers. Um, I think we have this idea that we can't share information with other with other banks, and there's a yeah. bit of competition. That's absolutely not true in cybersecurity. Right? There's yeah. there is no competition. Right? Our goal is to keep the sector safe. Yeah. Um, a client of mine could be working for could, could be a client of two banks. Right? Uh, my my intent is to make sure that everyone is secure. So. Uh, you see this a lot. There's always a talk about information sharing. There's a lot of successful information sharing uh, engagements happening globally that really bring people together. Uh, you see this in a lot of events that we have in cybersecurity in the industry. Yeah. You know, we're close friends uh, across multiple companies. We share information. Uh, we trust each other. If a bank is going to get hit on Monday, yeah. we're very probably going to get hit on Tuesday. So yeah. you know, us working together kind of helps us uh, share information effectively, mitigate the threat, uh, also get this complete picture to law enforcement. Because, yeah. you know, we, ultimately we want to try to put people behind bars. We want to yeah. stop those evil, you know, fingers behind the keyboard yeah. from operating again and again. Because attackers are equally resilient. Right? They're yeah. they're learning from their mistakes. Yeah. They're evolving, and we just have to match them uh, mm -hmm. from the other side. 
That's a really interesting point that you make, actually, about that there isn't any com- you know, uh, elements of competition within yeah. cybersecurity. I think that's one of the very healthy things about the industry. Yeah. When you're talking about other industries such as, you know, selling cloud solutions or anything around yeah. innovation, it's all about, you know, you know, hoarding sort of information. So yeah. progress is very difficult to kind of, you know, achieve, I guess. It's it's very true. I, I think I think maybe maybe the, the healthy competition is always on recruitment, right? Because mm. it's like first come, first serve. Yeah. There's a very, very finite number of experts on the market. Uh but but that's also also a good thing. Right? It's a good thing for the firm to be able to always have an eye on recruitment, uh, always yeah. looking at the, the, the new talent. But really, operationally and day to day activities, it's been uh, it's been fantastic to be working with some of the the peers yeah. in the industry across the world. You know, yeah. it's it's fascinating how you know Asia is connected to the U.S. and Europe, and everyone's working in in one direction, one wavelength, and we've had some very successful stories. Right? Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's cool, awesome. Another question I was really keen to ask you as well, actually, because I remember I asked you maybe about three years ago, yeah. you know, what's going to be the next big thing or what yeah. do you, and I remember you saying specifically purple teaming, that's going yeah. to be the next big thing. And then yeah. lo and behold, about a year later, I started seeing yeah. purple team roles like appearing here, there yeah. and everywhere. So let me ask you that again. What, <laughs> what's yeah. going to be the next, the next big thing in your opinion? Um, so what does the future look like? It's, it's, it's interesting. I mean, purple teaming at the time, even though it's a very debated term in the industry, uh, you could see red teaming being like the next the mm. next frontier, and still like blue was there. So eventually, and there's going to be a bit of a mix in colors and end up in, in purple. But you know, insider threat for uh, you know for the industry is going to be big. Yeah, I, I strongly so believe much, right? this is going to be a big one. Mm. I think a very very big area is going to be third party. Right, mm-hmm. as more companies are going to the cloud and they're doing more outsourcing engagements. It makes a lot of sense from a business perspective, um, and it's going to introduce uh, complexities. Right? Mm-hmm. It's going to simplify things. It also introduce some complexities on the security side. Yeah. And third party is going to be a big, big one. Right? Mm-hmm. Uh, we were seeing third party incidents anyway across you know the twenty twenty this year. If you can read the news, there's a bit of an increase in third party incidents there, um, uh, both on the hardware supply mm-hmm. chain and or on the software supply chain side. It's very important to uh, have people starting to specialize in those areas. It's yeah. uh, it would be a very key uh, key component there. The other thing, like I said, is uh, risk quantification. Yeah, I think risk quantification is going to be important to uh, fill in the gaps. You know, you want to know what's the impact mm. that's going to be on the market. Today, we look a lot at the uh, at the impact from uh, downtime or data theft or fraud activities, but really, uh, there's a far bigger impact. Um, yeah. to the global markets um, that has to be discovered and factored and measured, right? Yeah. And that will help risk management areas, will help uh, risk managers and, and, uh, and uh, modeling experts, you know, kind of factor cyber yeah. into their existing um, financial risk modeling, right? Yeah. And that's that's going to be a really, really important thing to add. In fact, you probably see it a little bit with the insurances, right? Yeah. Um, insurers are already looking at that area. It's very important for them to look at the impact of cyber to uh, the the premiums, uh, mm. the packages, the activities, all of that, it's going to be a far more granular integration of cyber into the day-to-day um, uh, risk management areas. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Now, that's really, uh, really interesting. Yeah. All right. Cool. And uh, what have you got planned for? When, when do you go back to work? Well, I, I went back to work uh, a couple of weeks ago. I had one day in the office. Uh, mm-hmm. It was definitely good to be back. Yeah. It was an empty office, but uh, slowly, slowly, we're going to start bringing people back in. 
Um, and I think, uh, you know, work from home is a very interesting concept that will definitely, mm. you know, uh, allow people to be more flexible, especially in this field. You know, cybersecurity is about making sure that uh, the, the individual is comfortable yeah. where they are to be able to operate with, you know, full capacity in dealing with some of these cases. You want to get them the most comfortable environment that they can. And if, yeah. if it's in the office, they're comfortable with that, so be it. Yeah. If it's at home, you know, that also is available, uh, especially that people are working around the clock. Yeah, so. yeah, exactly. Do you think people have been more sort of productive in this time in, in your field? I think, you know, I think some people, yes, yeah. have been extremely productive. Uh, I think some people found it um, to be a bit of a challenge, especially if they have families. Mm -hmm. um, but it kind of also kind of allowed them to find a system, you know, yeah. build a bit of a discipline to it, yeah. find a system and adapt. Right? Yeah. So um, there's a lot of learning coming mm -hmm. out of this experience. It's yeah. going to be very positive for yeah. the rest of us. Yeah. How have the as our sort of uh, adversaries, uh, you know, used COVID as a potential, mm. um, you know, vulnerability or... Well, they're uh, one thing for sure. They're very fast at mm. adapting, right? Um, see, the uh, this is very important to uh, to really portray correctly for people um, and the general public is that hackers. I don't like the word term, term hackers. It's uh, but more like you know criminals, cyber criminals that are operating in that space. Um, there, they will leverage uh, these big events mm. to try to build. Um, on the appropriate vulnerabilities or fears of people, right? Yeah. Um, and that's been something they've been doing for a very long time. You want to yeah. play on the fears because it gives you the highest chance of potentially, successfully um, impacting a, a victim. Yeah. It's not anymore just one guy sitting in a hood in a dark room and you know clicking on their keyboard and yeah. green green screens and all that stuff. It's really more about an organized approach to the psychology of the victim and how can you actually get them, lure them into clicking or falling for a trap. So you see COVID-19 phishing themes uh, impersonating the World Health Organization. You'll find them later on doing more work from home mm -hmm. phishing themes where they're trying to convince you that this is an email from IT and yeah. you can enable new features, remote access. Then you see them now doing more return to work phishing themes. So they're going to adapt right. to this okay. as it evolves, right? Yeah. Um, but we've seen this, you know, if there are big, you know, events in the world, um, you know, um, certain you know, unfortunate events or big events, they're going to always kind of like leech on these, these incidents yeah. and build a campaign around it. Um, and that's because it gives them a high chance of, um, of uh, succeeding. Right? Yeah. Um, and ultimately, they're in the profit uh, and gain business, uh, mm. illegal profit and gain business. Yeah. Um, and this is how this is the mechanism to allow them to do that with the lowest uh, risk. Yeah. Um, that they can occur. That is the thing, isn't it? Because I was talking to um, Madan about this, and yeah. he said that one of the broader sort of problems of uh, sort of cyber criminals is that the the risk factor for them is very very low, yeah. and if they, they they miss an attempt, then they can just go again, and there's yeah. no repercussions. Whereas you know in the old days, you know robbing a bank, you know you're in chains within minutes, and it's it's all over for you. And you know exactly right. I mean, th this is why. Like at the back of their mind, they just they just keep doing this. Yeah, right? uh, it it just they feel safe behind a PC. Mm -hmm. um, they've seen they've seen that the world has changed. Um, they're able to adapt to it. Um, they're extremely innovative. Yeah, right? they're there to break technology and then use it in different ways that probably we've never thought of. 
um, and it takes us time to go and discover these yeah. these trends and then to build countermeasures for them. Yeah. Um, and yeah, they they are there to kind of like push it to push us to the next level, and then we're we're there to just make sure that we can always be, you know, hopefully be you know a few steps ahead of them and try to anticipate where their interest might be and kind of you know try to be more preventive than just reactive these days. Yeah. 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 No, that's that's uh, yeah, it's really interesting. Well, look, I mean, you know, I could talk to you for hours yeah. on end, but I know that you've got a, uh, a job to get back to. So uh, I just want to say, yeah, thanks so much for taking the time to come in and speak with me today. And yeah, hopefully maybe we can do it again sometime. Absolutely. It's my pleasure. All right. Cool. Great. Thank you. Cheers. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Cybersecurity Unlocked is also available on YouTube. Please like and subscribe to get the latest updates.